Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. Joining me today is Joe, and we got a guest, Ben Pfeiffer, from the Rookie Wire. What's going on, guys? How it do? It's going well. So today we're doing an NBA draft preview podcast, so we're going to go through some Sixer stuff and then go down to some more general NBA topics. We're recording this on Monday night, so three days before the draft, and the Sixers have the 24th pick. So, Ben, what do you think they do at number 24? Hmm. So... What I think they're going to or what I think they should do? Both. All right. So what I think they're going to do kind of lines up with things. With, with, there's there's two things I think they could do. One is get shooting, which we all know how big the Sixers need shooting because outside of J.J. Redick, who may or may not be there, outside of T- Tobias Harris, who may or may not be there next year, and only if Jimmy Butler decides he's taking threes again, they don't really have much shooting. So... I think they could go for a guy who's a good shooter like Cameron Johnson or Carson Edwards, who I would really like. And then the other way I think they could go is backup center. We all know how big of a problem their backup center is. It's been a common thing. People have said the Sixers are a backup center away from winning a title last year. I'm not sure if that's really true, but I could see them going with a backup center like Daniel Gafford or Bruno Fernando or Fiondo Cavangale at 24 and that would be that would be a mistake and we can get into that and those are the two things i think they would likely do what do you think is the best possible scenario i think best case scenario well there's two guys the guy that would be best for them to get is grant williams because there's a thing grant williams projected range seems to be anywhere between 20 to 35 ish which is Kind of insane considering he's a top 10 prospect on my board and on the boards of many others I respect. Um, his fit isn't 
perfect with Philadelphia as kind of a hybrid big wing without any floor spacing. Well, at this point, and there are questions about his perimeter game, which are somewhat legitimate. But at that point, he's just too talented to pass on. He's one of the best passers in this draft. And even though he passed mostly from the post, he can easily translate to the perimeter. I could see him working in short roll situations with Butler or or another handler the Sixers can acquire in this draft or in free agency. He's so smart on and off the court. He could probably run for president if he wasn't playing basketball. And he's just a genius on the court, on offense, on defense, making smart rotations, making plays, making up for his lack of great athleticism with that feel for the game. And even though he isn't a volume or accurate shooter at this point, I think it's very likely he does shoot in the future, given his touch around the rim is excellent. And he's shot excellent percentages from the rim and from mid-range, over 50% on two-point jumpers, around 70 at the rim, which is just absolutely fantastic. And yeah, I think Williams works really well next to Joel Embiid as a four-spacer playmaker type to kind of, to give a compliment to Embiid's low-post scoring. And another guy that is similar to Williams is Chuma Okiki, who they can probably get later than 24. He's very similar in that in his IQ on the floor and his passing. And because of his ACL injury, which probably keeps him out for a decent portion of his rookie year, but it's not a huge deal because ACLs at this point in, in, in time are not career-ending like they used to be as long as teams are patient with their recovery. And he'd fit the Sixers theme of injured prospects pretty nicely. And once he came back from that, he would be healthy and he'd be able to contribute with his shooting and his passing and his super smart team defense. So those are the two guys who would be best case for the Sixers. I'm all in on Grant Williams at 24. I mean, he was a junior this year, but he's only 20 years old. So like you said, his high IQ, he can finish around the rim. And he's a hard worker and he's a team first guy. So he kind of fits that Greg Popovich Spurs system, which Brett Brown has. So I think he'd be a great fit with the Sixers. And like you said, a big, I think that range of, Biggs probably is available at 33 and 34 with Kevin Gelly, Gafford, and then I think Claxton's probably going to go top 25, I'd say, from stuff I've seen recently and reports I've heard. But those two for sure, I think Williams or Okiki, when he falls, would be great picks. But like we were talking about, I do think the Sixers stay at 24. And I think at this point in the draft, when you're picking at 24, it's kind of like buying scratch-off lottery tickets. You could have a guy that's the absolute best fit, and he just doesn't pan out. That's just reality when you're picking at 24. So there's you don't really draft, I'd say, for need. i say you draft like best available. And like you said, if Grant Williams is there at 24, I'd go ahead and snag him. Also, like you said, Cam Johnson, I was listening to a Liberty Ballers podcast, and they compared his numbers, shooting numbers last year to Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson's numbers last year. He was 64.8 true shooting percentage, 62% effective field goal percentage, 45.7% from three at a three-point rate of 50%. Cam Johnson also shot 162 NBA range threes last year, making 46% of them. So that's one big thing that NBA teams can look at according to that. But comparing that to Mikel Bridges, who had a lot of hype, a lot of Sixers fans were all over Mikel Bridges. Cam obviously doesn't have the athleticism or the defensive ability that Bridges has, but from the offensive end, Bridges shot 65.5% true shooting percentage compared to Cam's 64.8. Bridges' effective field goal percentage was 62%, which is exactly what Cam's was, and he was 43.5% from three compared to Cam's 45.7%. That's not saying that they're similar players because they obviously aren't, but Cam Johnson 
service level is probably he's pretty low on my big board. I'd say he's 30s. But if you're drafting for need, Cam Johnson, he's probably not going to make it to 33 or 34. So if the Sixers really think that they could use Cam Johnson off the bench as a shooter, then go ahead and take him. But besides that, I'd say Cam, Grant Williams, and then maybe Taylor Horton Tucker if he's available, Dylan Windler maybe, and then Ty Jerome has also been some guys I've heard around uh, 24. I think Carson Edwards is my favorite shooter-type prospect for the Sixers at 24. I don't think he makes it to their later to the second round picks. If he does, obviously wait for him. But there's a couple of reasons I like him. And even though his percentages per, percentages were much lower this year, it's a big reason for that was because of the astronomical usage he took on for Purdue. He basically went from an off-ball shooter slash secondary scorer to doing everything for that offense. And if you watch if you watch any of his games, so many of his shots were 40-foot pull-ups contested driving into the lane, contested shots. And a lot of that is problems with his overall decision-making and overall feel for the game. But that is a real role concern at Purdue that is possible to overlook, especially when you go back and look at his sophomore, junior, freshman tape, sophomore and freshman tape with him as more of an off-ball shooter. And his percentages were predictably much higher. And as a movement shooter, which the Sixers feature so heavily in their offense with their floppy sets and their dribble handoffs, I think Edwards is probably a better bet to shoot off movement just as a pure movement shooter than Cameron Johnson. Obviously, he's so much shorter, and he might not be a better shooter, but Cam Johnson is kind of – like he's kind of stiff. Like It's a good comparison. Like J.J. Redick contorts his, his torso and his midsection in midair to find openings and to angle himself for the basket. And that's that's something Carson Edwards does well, as well as as well as Reddick with his his legs are so strong he could probably play running back he has that kind of frame to fit to fit through and as a pure off ball shooter he'd be excellent but he provides something that none of the other shooting prospects do which is the threat of a dynamic pull up and some potential creation as well as while Edwards is a developing passer with suspect feel for the game and decision making he did show some ability to take advantage of his shooting gravity to find openings in the defense. And if he can develop into a lethal pull-up shooter, it makes his passing easier because of all the windows he opens. And that he, he could open up some more opportunities for Ben Simmons to play some more half-court offense, like as a role man. We all, ben Simmons has his problems with, with, with being a role man at this point and the physicality. But if he could, with his passing vision, giving him four-on-threes, when teams double Carson Edwards, shooting picket, shooting pull-up threes would be another way to unlock some value with him. I would absolutely love Edwards on this team because I can't remember the last time this team had a guard that they could turn to when everything else is stagnated, that they can just give the ball to and say, just go out there and get a bucket to sort of stop this run. And I just really think that he could really bring that sort of spark off the bench when they need it. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Ben, in college, a lot of his threes were off DHOs. He did off catch and shoots. He Browns really well without the ball as well. Um, he's a dominant ball handler, but he moves well without the ball. DHOs, he run through screens well. So, I mean, yeah, he's a guy that can score anywhere on the floor. I say he's a Lou Williams 2.0 with a Damian Lillard-esque off-balanced three-point shot. And in the NCAA tournament, in the four games he played, he had 26 points, 42 points, 29, and 42. And that last 42 was against UVA, which is our best defense in all of college basketball this year. And he made 28 threes in those four games. So he is undersized. He's an undersized guard, but he does have a 6'6 wingspan. But in the NBA, you need shooters, and you can never have enough of them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Carson, he is very flammable, as we say. He can get really hot, as we saw him do at the perfect time in the tournament and just completely go off. And at sometimes we can see him just go completely cold, as he did in conference play, which saw his three-point numbers go so far down. But I think overall he's a good bet to shoot. And like you said, there's some creation upside. And it's so rare to have a chance at any real initiator creator type that late in the draft. So I think Edwards is just all around a, a, a perfect fit in Philadelphia and somebody I'd want to look at. I would look to draft if I were the Sixers. So question for you. So are you in the boat that in the first round you draft for best player available or do you think it's for fit or a combination of both depending on the team? Well, it's, it's tricky with best player available because at this range in the draft, the separation between prospects is so low. I mean, if you look historically at prospect at prospect outcomes from drafts, whether it's RPM, PIPM, any catch-all metric, or just eye test, the separation between prospects as you go down the board is increasingly diminished as obviously you have your guys at the top who are consistently the ones making the most impact in the NBA. But then as you go down the board, there isn't as much separation and like especially in this draft there's more separation between the 20th player in this draft and the 100th player than there is between the first and the 10th with zion williamson and for that reason i think bpa only applies if somebody really good falls which in this draft is probably going to happen with grant williams chumo kiki john Say porter those types so yeah i think in general you want to be taking talent and the best talent available but you also do want talent that fits i mean the Sixers are in a kind of a good position because they can kind of take anything. They have a need kind of everywhere. But let's say, let's, let's, let's give an example in the, in the first round. The Bulls aren't going to take Gogo Batadze because they have, they've, taken, they've taken big men in the past few drafts, even if they think Batadze is going to be better than other prospects on their board. So I think generally BPA is what you want to go for. But I think especially for the team like, a team like the Sixers, who has such dire needs like backup center and off-ball shooting, I think fit is something you have to consider there. Yeah, I definitely agree. And going back to Sixers, drafting Joel Embiid, Nerlens Noel, and Joel Okafor in three drafts, that just obviously didn't pan out. And the Sixers didn't get anything in return for Noel and Okafor. So I agree with you on that point. Yeah, man. The Sixers would love to have Nerlens Noel right now, but... Yeah, definitely. Like you said, you draft for a need. Obviously, your Sixers can kind of go perimeter defender if they want. I'm not. I, I would not be happy if they take Matisse Thybul. I see why some people like him on defense, but I say there's some guys you can get on the free agent market that are going to be just as good or better than Matisse. I say get a go get a backup center or a perimeter score. And I'd say when you get to the second round, <clears throat> picks 33 and 34, I'd say that's where you draft more for need. Sixers Senior Vice President of Player Personnel, Mark Eversley, said the Sixers are definitely going to look at bigs in the draft, and they've been working out bigs off and on throughout the whole draft process, so don't be surprised if they take, they're definitely going to have a center either at, hopefully it's 33 or 34, because I say 24 will probably be a forward or a perimeter score. Oh yeah, yeah. I can quickly counter you on Matej Thibel as a major Thibel optimist. I have him in my top 20, and I actually think he'd be a fantastic fit for the Sixers at 24. And I think I think he's just such a special defensive player. I know he played in the zone, but even for the zone, his, his steals and blocks number is 
block percentage, 6.6 kill percentage. Those are, nobody's ever done that. And even if you cut them in half, so few, so few people have done that. And the film backs it up. His, his anticipation, his timing, his reaction speed is just preternatural. It's rare. He's a really good athlete. There's this one clip of him against Colorado where he he tips the ball, gets a deflection, as he is the deflection king, and then he sprints past a Colorado player to dive for a loose ball, and it looks like he's fast-forwarded, and then he rises super quickly for a dunk. And I think that's a great encapsulation of his underrated athleticism and how he uses it on both ends of the floor. And I think even though he played in his zone, a lot of NBA concepts of team defense are zone concepts like X outs, scrambling for switches. And some teams even just play zone. We've seen teams like Miami, teams like Brooklyn. Even in the finals, we saw a box in one. We saw a triangle in two. We saw a two-one-two zone. So there's room for defenders with elite team skills like Matthias Steibel, who I don't think is replaceable at all. And on offense, there's obviously concerns with him. He's super passive. He His three-point shot is questionable. He never got to the rim. But if he can just shoot threes at a competent rate, his defensive value, I think, is enough to really make up for it and be a huge asset for the Sixers on the, in general. I do think he does have a three-point shooting potential just from watching clip on him. He has very good form. He has a good base on his shot. So, And I've seen a lot of clips of him shooting NBA range threes. Didn't do a lot. He obviously had a down shooting year this year. I mean, if he's there at 24 and, let's say, Grant Williams – Carson Edwards, Taylor Horton Tucker, those kind of guys are gone. I wouldn't be too upset about it. I would probably rather have Carson, but I do see there's always a need for defense. And he had what he averaged three and a half steals and two and a half blocks per game this year as a six four, six five guard. That's pretty impressive. It's ridiculous. Just n- nobody in college basically ever has put up the steals and blocks numbers that he has this season. Yeah, and I would love him as a defensive stopper just coming off the bench. I mean, he's still, I mean, the, the, his shooting fell off a little bit his final year. I mean, he still shot, I think, around 35% for his career. So as long as he's able to at least, at the very least, hit spot-up opportunities, I think he could be, you know, invaluable to this team. Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah, and let's say, let's say Matisse is there at 24, and then transition this into what Sixers do at 33 and 34. Let's say they do get Matisse there. 33 and 34, like we said earlier, there's going to be a lot of bigs there. I could see Darius Baisley there. Maybe Kevin Gelly drops. Bruno Fernando is on a lot of people's there. He's pretty low on people's big boards. What I've seen, I've seen him getting drafted at 42, I think on Kevin O'Connor's mock draft. Jalen McDaniels is another prospect that I like. He just mobile big and then Daniel Gafford as well. All right, so I was going to say, I am pretty – my philosophy with big men in regards to the draft is just the nature of the position in the NBA nowadays is bigs are so replaceable. Unless bigs are really special, like either they have some sort of special shooting, special handling or passing, or a generationally good defensive talent, just based on the numbers, based on the metrics we have, it's – more valuable to spend an asset like a high second round pick on a wing who's generally less replaceable than and get a center later in the draft or as a UDFA or in the free agent market. Like why draft Bruno Fernando at 34 when you can get someone like Ken Birch or go to Europe and get Jan Vesely for so much less. But that doesn't apply to bigs who have a chance to be special. I think someone you mentioned, Jalen McDaniels, even though I don't think he's a big, I view him as more of a big wing. I think he could be that guy. He's 
was so skinny. At the combine, at the combine, he looks noticeably thicker in his torso, which is obviously a very nice thing to see. But even then, he weighed under 200 pounds and was, I think, the tenth thinnest or lightest player at the combine, which is very concerning for a big. And there's a good chance he's just never strong enough to hold up in the league. But I believe in his work ethic after seeing his body transformation. And if he can put on strength, he's got a really great motor. He has some perimeter skills. He's great defending the perimeter. And given his elite mid-range shot, I think he does shoot. That's a guy who I think is a very interesting second-round target. What were you going to say, Joe? I was going to say, um, in regards to Baisley, I, the Sixers are bringing him in for their second workout tomorrow, I believe. So That's interesting. Yeah, so there's clearly probably some interest there on the Sixers end right there. From what I've seen, Ben, you're you're pretty high on Jonte Porter. I am, yes. So like you were saying, guys that have a special ability, I think Jonte's playmaking ability for a big, he's very talented playmaker. Gosh, I can't believe I didn't mention Jonte there. I'm failing my own brand. So yeah, Jonte Porter is definitely one of those guys that I inexplicably spaced on in my last little speech right there. Jonte Porter, he is someone going to be really high on my board. I understand the injury concerns are real. Two ACLs on the same knee in under a year is no joke. And even though I talked earlier about how ACL, the nature of ACL injuries, how they aren't as bad as they used to be, two on the same knee is serious. And there's a chance he either never plays again or never plays enough minutes to be really valuable. And his family has so much injury histories. His Obviously his brother Michael, back injuries, foot injuries. He's so talented he may never be able to reach. His sisters all have undergone injuries playing basketball but if he can get healthy he's such a talented player but but like you just mentioned with his playmaking he's a rare playmaker for a big man who's comfortable on the perimeter handling and passing he's not like a low post passer like grant williams or chumo kiki mainly were in college he's a legitimate perimeter playmaker and as a shooter he his percentages weren't great overall last year but they were much better in conference and he has to touch the form to be a legitimate big shooter off movement, which is super rare, and off of standstill. And on defense, I don't think he is that terrible because, sure, he can't really jump and he can't run in the straight line, but he changes directions really well. He's laterally quick and he's super smart. He had a really nice block percentage in his freshman year despite his lack of vertical athleticism, and that's due to his timing, his anticipation, and his reaction times, making plays on the defensive end. And even though even though Porter not only was athletic, he lost around 50 pounds and 5% of body fat in a year from last combine to this combine. And that is certainly something worth mentioning, a sign of his work ethic, a sign of more body transformation that is to come for Porter to make him even more, to make him even better at the NBA level. Yeah, so like you were saying earlier about Chuma, who's hurt, and Jonte as well. Sixers have five picks, and right now they only have four guaranteed players on the roster. So if I'm Philly, I'm drafting like Jimmy and Tobias aren't coming back. So, But in the same breath, let's say they do come back. The Sixers aren't going to have five rookies on contract. So let's say Jonte's there at 42, Chuma's there at 34. You don't trade any of those picks. You get Chuma, you get Jonte, you just say, hey – recover per Sixers rookie tradition and have both of them recover Jonte and Chuma and then they come back and those are two steals I think and I think the Sixers are one of the teams that can benefit from that 
and it can't afford to do it with the amount of picks they have and the range they have them in. Absolutely. And if you were to move on, you mentioned they have so many picks. I think there's interested in drafting and stashing some guys. So if you have any guys you want to mention or if you want me to mention anybody. So, yeah, so on my big board, Dividus Servetus, I think he's a solid prospect. Obviously, Luca Semanic is also, he's 32 on my big board, two foreign guys as well. And those are probably the two top foreign guys that I have. Obviously, Goga out of Georgia, he's seven on my big board. I think he's going to be very, very good. Those are three foreign guys, but I don't think Goga's going to be a stasher. Yeah, I think all those guys are definitely good. Goga is not going to be there at 24. No. Servetus is really good because he fits the sh- he fits two themes. He fits the shooting theme. He's one of the better shooters in this draft, six eight, and he's tall as hell, so he can run in those all six seven plus lineups that the Sixers love to deploy. And as for Summonich, he's another kind of versatile, do it all offensive big without a real without a real go to skill, but a lot of skills that could be an interesting stash guy for the Sixers. And I'll mention a couple more guys. One guy who's technically not an international, it's Alan Smilagic of the Santa Cruz Warriors. So he's been playing in the G League this year. He's two at 18. He was too young to be called up. So he will enter his name into the draft this year. And it's looking pretty much like the Warriors have done their job to, of hiding him and are going to look to select him in the 58th pick. But, man, they have hidden an absolute gem because Smilagic is super talented. He fits the Sixers' need of a backup center perfectly. He's pretty raw, but he shows rare defensive instincts for an 18-year-old. He shows some slashing ability with his handle. And although he doesn't shoot right now, his jumper looks looks smooth. He has good touch, and overall, it's projectable. And maybe they could steal maybe they could steal him right under the Warriors' nose. That would be great for Philadelphia. Another international guy is Didi Luzada, a Brazilian who is another 3-and-D type guy. He's an excellent three-point shooter overall. He shoots really well off movement. He can shoot from the standstill. His touch is really good. This season, he shot 7.3 threes per 40 on 42.7% accuracy in 33 games. That's excellent. The rest of his offense is pretty raw. His handle is rudimentary. The decision-making is growing. But then, And then on defense, he's really excellent his anticipation and awareness for a 19 year old in a legit pro league is really rare and it's excellent his help defense is really really good for a player's age and with his athleticism and six seven frame he could be a real impact defender at some point in the nba and the last international guy i would like to mention is yovel zusman israeli 20 year old wing who plays for maccabi tel aviv and Sushman is just an all-around excellent player. He's one of the few young guys contributing a positive minutes in the Euro League, which is not a thing most guys do. He's an excellent passer, a super smart all-around player. He looks like he's going to shoot pretty well with some shot versatility. He's long. He's very strong. He's a great help defender. He's a great individual defender. He's a guy who Billy could probably bring over now if they needed him, or they could let him sit in the Euro League and keep developing his game and bring him over when they need him. Yeah, that last guy. I believe it's Zeusman. Zeusman, sorry. Yeah, Zeusman. Yeah, I just was doing some looking into him the other day. I haven't really heard much about him, and I was pretty impressed. So, yeah, and then a couple of those foreign guys aren't even on – like a lot of guys that I see their big boards, these guys aren't even on there. So that could be a lot of steals to get from international players. Yep, Absolutely.
Yes. Yeah, so, so obviously we know how many, you know, the Sixers have a pretty good chest of uh, picks this year. And um, I was thinking about it earlier. I wanted to get your take on this. Do you think there are any possible role guys around the league that the Sixers could use these picks to package in for and maybe try to go for? Hmm. Um, I think they'd probably be best off just keeping the picks and taking any stabs at role guys. Because this draft, there's so much made about how this draft is not very strong. And while that's true, its main issue is being flat at the top without much star talent. But there are a pretty good amount of role guys who the Sixers could take in the second round to contribute right away. So I think unless they can get some somebody really good on a bargain deal, it, I, I mean, if, of course it's possible. We've seen guys like just thinking about my Pacers. The They traded the 20th pick for Thaddeus Young, who's been a big piece, big part of their team. So if the Sixers could grab a guy like that, then by all means. But I think they'd probably be better off making the picks unless something really great comes up. Yeah, I like that insight because – I agree with you. That I think from picks, I'd say 15 to 35, the talent level is pretty even. I mean, it's obviously it's the three-man draft most part, but I'd say from four to 15, those guys, I'd say is sort of a tier. I know I've seen your stuff. You have a lot more tiers than this, but I'm saying just general overall way. Uh, four, like three to four to 15 is pretty even, and then from 15 to 35 or even to 40, all those guys are pretty even. So. I think it'd be a good idea just to take as many stabs as possible because I see a lot of guys saying the Sixers should trade them because they don't have enough roster spots. But like you are talking about earlier, if you have a foreign guy that you can draft and stash or if there's a guy that's injured like Chuma or Jonte Porter, then just take as many shots as possible. I think that's a good mentality to go into the draft with. Yeah, like I was saying, this draft is really flat. Just looking at my big board, not released yet, but the tiers I, ha- I have obviously one is its own tier with Zion. And then it's 2 through 11 then 12 through 22, then 23 through 50. So it's a lot of it's, it's a lot of similar prospects in terms of quality, and there's going to be a really nice opportunity for Philadelphia to grab some players with real rotation equity later than they might be able to in many drafts. Moving on to just the top guys that we've seen on mock drafts from top NBA guys fits for the Sixers. So I just want to get your opinion on Taylor Horton Tucker first, Dylan Windler, and then Ty Drum. All right, so I'll start with Horton Tucker. Horton Tucker is really interesting. He's one of the weirdest prospects in this draft. Just looking at his measurements, 6'4", 7'1", wingspan, around 235 pounds. He's huge. And even though he's not super athletic by run-jump standards, he's probably going to get to the rim a lot because of his length and because of his excellent strength. And he has some real creation flashes. Even though he didn't shoot well and he shot a horrid percentage, I think around 21 on two-point jumpers, he's excellent at the rim. His touch is great, and he's shown some passing ability. So I think he's a pretty interesting kind of initiator, ball handler, gamble at 24 if he were to last there. I like him a bit more than that, but if he were to last there, I think he'd be a great shot for the Sixers to get. Dylan Windler, just another shooter. Sixers love and need shooters bad, and Windler is certainly one of the best those in this draft. I'm not really sure if he's going to be athletic enough or have the frame to hold up on defense, but he's a smart player. He does a lot of little things well, and he's going to shoot the crap out of the ball. So he's another guy. As for Ty Jerome, similar to Windler, except for shorter and even less athletic. And he's obviously such an excellent shooter off the pull-up and off motion. He's super high IQ, a great passer, 
a very smart defender, even with some strength. But he's only 6'4", and he's really unathletic. I'm not sure if he's genuinely going to be an, an NBA athlete. He's somebody I'm pretty out on. There's lots of shooters I would prefer who are either taller, have more ancillary skills, or are better athletes than, than Jerome. I'm very, very big on Taylor Horton Tucker. I've been talking, tweeting, writing about him since draft stuff started. I just think, like you said, his 6'4 frame, he's 6'4, 235. I think he's going to drop a few pounds. But his 7'1 wingspan helps him be able to finish over a lot of guards in the NBA. He's very, very strong. So on the defensive side of the ball, even though he's only 6'4, he can defend and did so on the college level, defended forwards, 6'8 guys pretty well. And if you watch tape on him, he's going inside on layups and he's powering through big guys that are 6'10, 6'11, 250 pounds. And for a guard to do that, I. It's, it's very impressive. I think he's more of a Marcus Smart type with a more offensive game. And speaking of his offensive game, he has a step back NBA range three-pointer that he displayed in college. He didn't average that many points. I think he averaged 11 points last year at Iowa State. But he's one of the youngest prospects in the draft. He turned 18 in November. So that's another positive since just because of age and then again, on the defensive side of the ball, he's he pins guys against the backboard. He has long arms, which can clog passing lanes. So I'm, I'm very high on uh, THD. Yeah, I agree. And you mentioned his step back. His step back is – that is such an advanced move for a guy his age. With his tools, he can basically get an unassisted three-point jumper or a long two anytime he wants, which is such a valuable skill to have in the NBA. question is, can he make them, which he didn't really do in his freshman season at Iowa State. But he's so young and – the room for his jump shot to improve is there, and the foundation is there for a weird wing size guard type potential with switchy defense, offensive initiating. It, I really have no idea what Taylor Horton Tucker is going to be, and he might not be anything or be able to contribute positive value until his second contract. But in this draft, his upside is higher than most guys, and he, there's some real weird possible outcomes where he's some valuable backup or even starting initiator, and I don't think you want to miss on that at 24 if you're the Sixers. Yeah, and so also talked about Dylan Windler, another guy, NBA range on that quick left-handed three-point shot. He also, He's also a very underrated defender and rebounder. He's 6'8", but he's very slim. But he's a decent rebounder for his size, which obviously won't probably translate in the NBA. He's playing at Belmont, so mid-majors, the size and athleticism of those guys does not go to Power 5 basketball or even higher to the NBA, but you always need shooting. He has a step back as well. That looks almost identical to James Harden. And he's also another guy to keep your eye on out. Eye on. Where do you think the range is for Taylor Horton Tucker and Dylan Windler? Interesting. I think the range for what I've seen Windler, Windler's probably a, a late first all the way to mid late second type guy from the things that I've read and heard. I don't have any inside information. I'm just going off what I've read and what I've heard from people I trust. Horton Tucker, I think probably similar, if not the range starting a bit higher, probably mid teens, late teens ish, early twenties would be my guess. So right in the Sixers lap if they want him. And Ty Jerome, he's one of those guys that's probably going to be late twenties. What's weird about this draft, like we talked about earlier, is the talent level is very flat. Or it's very close in this range. I've seen Windler at 20 to Boston, 22 to Boston. I've seen him in the late 20s. I've seen him in the mid to late 30s as well. So it's really hard to project where Windler's going to go. Taylor Horton Tucker, I've seen him as high as 18 on some athletic or 
ringer mock drafts. It's just crazy how this draft, it's very, very hard to like project where guys are going to go. And the same thing with Grant Williams and Ty Jerome. You just don't know where a lot of these guys are going to go. We talked about Sixers' top five realistic best fits. We talked about them keeping all of their picks. Let's say there is a scenario where the Sixers trade back into the first round using two of 33, 34, 42, or 54. What do you think they do? Who like a possible team they could trade with and what kind of guy they would target? I'd be pretty generally, let me just say, against trading up in this draft at all, unless you're trading up to one, because we've talked about it before, the value in this draft. I would definitely take picks 42 on, and just for example, I'd take 42 and 41 over 20 easily just because of the range of separation between the prospects. But I think, I'm, I'm not, I don't really know what team would be interested in trading back. Maybe Maybe Portland, we've seen things about them wanting to trade their pick potentially in trading for a star to try to boost their team. I think if Philly were to trade back into the first round, they'd be looking at just one of the same guys who they would be looking for at 24. So maybe they really like one of those bigs and they don't think he's going to last to their first, second round pick, so they go and snag him there. Maybe they really like a shooter and they want to get him. So, yeah. I've seen some places, I'm, I agree with you with what we've talked about so many times, the talent level. So I would, I would be against trading in, but I've seen some reports of them going to San Antonio at 29. I've also seen them trading 42 and 54 to go up with Atlanta at 35 because Atlanta obviously has a lot of picks. That would be three guys in a row, 33, 34, and 35. That would be one thing, and maybe a future second as well to package there. Um but like we said, if there's a guy they think's gonna drop, then go ahead and grab him. But I don't. I'm in the same boat. Not really trading back. So going on to some normal general NBA draft stuff. So today report came out. Woj dropped a bomb that said, obviously this wasn't a surprise to many people, but New Orleans is trying to trade for Bradley Beal in a deal centering around the fourth overall pick and Brandon Ingram. What do you think about that? And what do you think the likelihood of that occurring is? Yeah, we've seen so many rumors about the, the Pelicans trying to trade the fourth pick, and that would if they if they landed Bradley Beal, that would just be a fantastic heist for New Orleans. There, there's nobody in this draft outside of Zion who I would project to recoup as much value as Bradley Beal would for the Pelicans, and the Pelicans with Zion, if they were to trade for a star like Bradley Beal with Drew Lonzo, they are going to be in a position to win now with how incredible Zion is going to be how good that roster is and it, it does make sense that, that there's a lot of smoke around that fourth pick with the pelicans wanting to wanting to accelerate this post entity davis era rebuild not more more of a retool than a rebuilds i would say with new orleans right now since they traded anthony davis there's too many ball dominant guys on their team right now lonzo ball drew holiday brandon ingram and then obviously zion so let's say they do trade for Bradley Beal. Having a core of Drew Holiday, Beal, and Zion would be very, very dangerous. And New Orleans got – they obviously didn't get the package they Lakers offered them in February, which was Kuzma, Hart, Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Zubach, and two first-round picks. But they still got three picks, including the fourth pick this year, and they got Hart, Ball, and Ingram. So it still is a good package. Even And AD is an expiring contract, and he's leaving anyway, so – just getting as much as you can get is huge. So, and they can turn around a lot of these picks that they have here. 
and going back to Beal, his contract's very affordable. He's owed he's owed twenty seven million this year and then twenty eight point seven five million next year. So New Orleans has that deal and Drew Holiday's deal, and they could also get Beal. I'd say there'd be some winks in the free agent market that would take a little bit less money to come to this team. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm not really sure what their cap sheet looks like at the moment, especially after they got Beal. But with if people, if NBA pro, NBA players are aware of the greatness of Zion Williamson, um, they should all be flocking in to go play with him. So maybe Zion Williamson is going to be a free agent magnet. He really should be. I think that's especially interesting if they can get Bradley Beal to accompany them in New Orleans to try and quickly build a contender without Anthony Davis. I think that, you know, obviously Washington doing away Beal, they'd be dealing away the one star that they do have left. But I think that would be sort of advantageous for them, even though it probably wouldn't be the fairest deal, because with their their salary cap hell right now, and they need all the ways they can to try to get as much talent as they can to field at least a somewhat competitive team. So th- and getting the fourth pick could really help them in, in progressing in that in set, that sort of respect. Yeah, and looking at New Orleans' pay sheet for this year, so as of now, they are paying... Drew, $26 million. They'll get off of ADs. Solomon Hill's in his last year, finally, so that's also another trade asset, trade an expiring contract to a team with a lot of cap. Etoan Moore is in his final year as well, so those two bad 2016 contracts will be off the books this year. Julius Randle declined his $9 million player option. They still have Jula Okafor on a team option. And then Christian Wood is owed $1.6. Frank Jackson, uh, $1.6. Kendrick Williams, 1.46, and then Darius Bertans is 1.46. So as of right now, you take away AD, they have uh, – so they have like $65 million right now. And then add Zion, that's probably going to be about $10 million-ish per year, give or take. They'll have a decent amount of cap, and then they get add Bradley Beal to that. That'll probably bring it back up to around 100 and this year the cap's at 132 So they would have enough room to go there and get some free agents. So that's, yeah, that's if, a max plot right there. Yep, exactly. I've seen, I mean, Tobias Harris, that'd be a great fit right there in um, New Orleans. I went, I'd say Tobias, that wouldn't be his best spot, but a guy like him or Bojan Bogdanovich, your Pacers guy, if he heads out, that would be another option. But, I mean, if the Pelicans get Beal, I'd say they've won the offseason. Yeah, if they want to pay Boyan $18, million, they can they can take him off our hands. They can take him off Pacers' hands. Yeah, he'd definitely be a nice fit with the shooting. Same with Tobias Harris, even though I don't think he's worth anywhere near a max contract because of his playmaking and defense deficiencies, but he's certainly an excellent scorer. And in a team that would want as much floor spacing as it could get for Zion, that's just a great fit. I agree. So moving on from that, Shams had his inside pass today. Started off with a little talk on Nasir Little, who – has had a lot of questions about his jump shot. He obviously didn't start for North Carolina this year. He came off the bench, but he is a perfect body, perfect athleticism for the modern NBA. He's 6'8". He's got a lot of muscle. He can jump through the roof. Shams got reports that Chicago is starting expressing interest at number seven, and his likely range starts at eight with the Hawks. But according to reports, several lottery teams said that Little squash any concerns over his shooting during his pre-draft workouts. Ben, what, what do you think about those reports? Do you think they're accurate, or do you think those are just teams trying to increase the price for Nasir Little in case teams want to trade up? 
I mean, they're probably accurate given the way we know teams value their pre-draft workouts with prospects. We've seen so many guys fly up rankings already this year. Like, like we have videos of Cam Reddish dunking in an open gym, and all of the concerns about him shooting 3% from the field this year go away. Or guys like Kevin Gele, who are going to shoot the lights out in workouts, and just all their issues are going to get ignored. So I believe it. I would definitely think taking little at – Seven would be a Bulls thing to do. It would be a typical Bulls terrible draft decision, even though they drafted well for the past couple of years with Wendell Carter and Larry Markin. And yeah, but I think it's a reasonable thing that could happen. I think the Celtics are at 14, would probably be the back of his range, if I were to guess. Seems like a very Ainge type prospect with ball skills, high pedigree, athleticism, super high character. Obviously, like you said, shot the lights out, shot the lights out, and work out. So. I think 7 to 14 is probably the range I'd peg him in. Another thing from the Shams inside pass was noise on the Mike Conley trade. He said that the Jazz are the front runners. What do you think Utah can offer, and what do you think the likelihood of that happening is? I mean, it's interesting. There's been, they, been talked around guys like Exum as a centerpiece. They have Grayson Allen, Royce O'Neal. They have picks. They have Joe Ingles. They probably need Mike Conley more than anyone else to get some more just playmaking creation on the perimeter. I'm not sure who else they would offer or if they have enough to get it done over a team like Boston, who's been rumored, or a team like Indiana, who could probably give more. Yeah, actually, we did a mock draft with me, Chris Klein, who's the co-site editor, and three other guys. And I was the GM of the Pacers, and I had to trade that sent the 18th pick Sabonis, Doug McDermott, and a 2020 feature second to Memphis for Mike Conley. What do you think about that? I'd be pretty against it, but I understand what's coming from the Pacers really do need another perimeter creator. They need passing bad. They need, they need guys who can, who can create for others and create for themselves more than anything. Mike Conley's obviously excellent. But he's, he's, he's getting up there in age. He's not getting any younger. And he's had serious injury questions. And I'm not sure if he really fits the Pacers' timeline. I do understand wanting to get a guy next to Victor Oladipo while he's still under contract. But he's also injured right now. And it's up in the air what he's going to do next season. And I'm, I'm fairly low on Sabonis. But it's less for his fault and more because I don't think he's ever going to be optimized under the Pacers' head coaching because of Nate McMillan's offensive woes. And I think that's a reasonable deal to make. It's probably not I want probably not one I would make because of the risk involved, but I do get doing that. Yeah, I guess Indiana thinks that they're in a win now. Well, they're not in a win now because of Old Depot's quad injury, and not really sure the timetable is on that. But moving on to another one of the big things from Shams, in, Shams Inside Pass, and it also transitions into our next topic about teams trading their picks. So Phoenix has discussed trading their sixth pick, TJ Warren and Josh Jackson, in several trade packages this week. Who do you think would be a candidate for that sixth pick to trade with Phoenix? And mm, I'm not really sure who would be interested to trade for Phoenix. Maybe some team looking to get rid of a star. Not sure what team that would be. Maybe Memphis could be in the cards for that, but I think that's a high price to pay for Mike Conley, even though Phoenix is desperate for their point guard. So maybe they'd be willing to fork over more than they should for a steady veteran like Conley who's going to produce at a near all-star level. Yeah, definitely. And there's been reports of maybe the Cavs 
we also you just talked about the Suns, Hawks, and Celtics trading their picks. Obviously, the Celtics have the 14th, 20th, and 22nd picks. The AD trade fell through. So who do you think the Celtics look to draft, and do you think they trade one of those picks? Obviously, I'm, I think we both agree that they should probably just hit on as many guys as they can, especially having three picks in the top 22. But if they did trade, do you think they'd trade back or trade up? They'd probably look to trade back and out at this point. I think with Anthony Davis off the table, they're probably going to make three picks. We might guess, or make two at least. Like I said before, I think they'd be interested in Nasir Little for the reasons I outlined. I think they'll be interested in Romeo Lankford for similar reasons. His pedigree, his his character, his reported work, that work ethic, past dribble shoot guy. I think they'll be interested in Brandon Clark because of just his all-around talent and age of eye respect him somewhat as a talent evaluator. And I think they'll be kind of it on Ty Jerome for that championship pedigree shooting type of thing that the Celtics seem to like. Speaking of Brandon Clark, I've seen reports of maybe the Cavs trading back from their pick. If they did so, I would say they did it because they see DeAndre Hunter and Brandon Clark as even prospects. And that could see them moving back and saying, all right, well, we can get Hunter here, but Clark will probably be available if we trade back to, let's say, 10, 11, or 12 in that range, maybe even a little bit later, depending on where Clark goes. I've seen Clark going top 10. I've also seen him going late lottery. That could be a reason why the Cavs trade back or a team would trade up that wants a point guard like Minnesota could trade up to that Cavs pick. There's many, many options there. Yeah, I think the Timberwolves is an interesting one I hadn't thought of. Maybe the Cavs will be dumb enough to take Andrew Wiggins back, but... Yeah, if they could go up and maybe like Darius Garland or somebody like that or Kobe White, they could go up at six and try and get him, and that would alleviate their point guard woes. Or not not fully because I'm I'm not super sold on either of those guys as offensive engines in the future. But with Carl Anthony Towns, you don't really need one of those because you have one in the generational offensive big. So I think that's definitely a possibility, like you said. But going off of that. Um... You know, if they don't, if Minnesota doesn't doesn't find their answer point guard in this draft, what would you think of the fit of a D'Angelo Russell in Minnesota? Because I've seen reports of him being linked uh, to that team. Yeah, I am a noted D'Angelo Russell skeptic. There's been plenty of smoke around the, the Pacers as well, and I've voiced my opinion around that. I don't think it's a terrible fit because, of course, he's 23 year old. He's 23 years old. He's a lethal pull up shooter. And he's an exciting passer, but there's lots of issues with his with his decision making is poor. He doesn't get to the free throw line almost ever. He struggles to get to the rim, and his defense isn't great either. I think two really terrible decision makers. I mean, he's not Andrew Wiggins level bad of a decision maker. Very few guys are, but with that lack of playmaking on the perimeter or lack of decision making, excuse me, and I think the offense would be pretty exciting with Towns and with Russell creating. But generally, I wouldn't look to spend a max on him there. I would look elsewhere. Yeah, I'm with you on D'Angelo Russell. He's high volume, low efficiency score. I mean, he'll he'll score. He had one, I think, game one against the Sixers in that first round. He had like 21 points on 22 shots. And I'm just not in yep, on a guy that... Yeah, like a high volume shooter doesn't really score much, doesn't get to the rim, it doesn't get the line. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not big into that. And if I was you with Indiana, I would stay away from that as much as possible. But I mean, I teams are gonna throw 
or yeah, there's gonna be some teams throwing money at him, so we'll see. But moving on to some more draft stuff. So obviously Zion has the most hype in this draft, but who do you think is gonna be the best player from this draft? Oh, definitely besides Zion. Zion. Well, besides oh, Zion, oh, yeah. besides it's Zion. gonna be Zion. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be Zion. But besides Zion, I'm not sure. There's a couple guys I'll give you who I have the most confidence in. So we already talked about Grant Williams, one of them. I'm pretty confident in him being a very good NBA player. Brandon Clark is another. Brandon Clark and Jarrett Culver are two and three on my board, and those are the guys I'm besides Zion. I'd be most confident in being good NBA players. Clark is just such a special athlete, and in turn, a special defender with his ability to use his athleticism functionally, combine that with his IQ to protect the rim, to defend the pick and roll, to even switch a little bit. On offense, he has great touch around the rim. I've talked about this before. Because of that touch, I think he probably shoots in the future, and I think he's more skilled on offense than he gets credit for. As for Culver, he lacks high-end athleticism, and he's not a great shooter at the moment, even though for, for similar reasons to Clark, and because he shot such an incredible volume of threes at Texas Tech this season, I think he shoots. He's such a smart player. He's one of the best wing passers in this draft. He's a great slasher who just has a great understanding of angles and spacing and how to use his strength to carve openings and finish without a great first step or solid vertical, but not elite. I think he's going to be a great defender as well. And another guy I want to mention in confidence is Gogo Batadze. We talked about it a bit earlier, and while his upside isn't crazy, he's one of the better players in the EuroLeague already at 19, and he's got a lot of translatable skills, his rim protection, his pick-and-roll defense, his pick-and-roll finishing on offense, and a translatable jump shot. I'd be pretty surprised if he wasn't a good NBA player. Yeah, speaking of Goga, I mean, one thing about him is for a big, he's one of the best screeners in this draft. And let's say he goes to the Spurs at 19, which would be a perfect fit, I think. He moves on the floor really, really well. He has decent footwork. He His lateral movement is one knock on him, which will be something he needs to improve for his defense. But overall, as a defensive guy, he has pretty high IQ. He rotates well. And in the post, he's just a classic, smart European post player with pretty good playmaking abilities. So I, I do, I'm with you on Goga as well. Another guy is, I'm not saying he's going to be good, but Cam Reddish is a very, very high ceiling, but that's based just purely off potential. And this year, his shooting numbers were horrific. But I think teams are going to reach for Cam Reddish just due to his potential with the modern NBA with a 6'8 wing that has a, well, a good jump shot when he had in competitive AU ball and in high school. He obviously was a third option this year, so he didn't have many isolation possessions, but his Transition shooting, his spot-up shooting was below, I think, 35th percentile. I think his spot-up shooting was in the 22nd percentile, if I remember correctly. So he obviously had a very, very off year, but he's still going to be a lottery pick this year. What are your thoughts on Cam Reddish? Cam Reddish is really dicey. Uh, the, up, the upside point, it's a point a ton of people mention, and it's a point I disagree with, mostly because of his lack of really any burst or vertical explosion, and then his lack of high-end feel for the game. I do think his upside is very, very valuable role player, which, is, don't get me wrong, is important and valuable, but it's not this point forward Paul George type that many may not make him out to be. And his shooting is really is concerning to me. There are things going forward against his shot translating. Going forward, there are guys at six foot eight with his shot versatility both almost always shoot with. He got shots off in so many different ways at a, at a super high volume. 
off pull-up, off movement left, off movement right, off a variety of different actions. But when you look at the numbers, they're historically awful. I mean, he shot 28.2% on two-point jumpers. He shot 50% at the rim. He shot 39% from two. Guys with those shooting numbers just don't shoot in the NBA historically. It's really not a strong indicator for his future shooting success. And even if he doesn't shoot, I think he's going to be a good defender, not an elite defender or anything, but with his length and his frame and his activity and some decent IQ on that side, he's going to be a good NBA defender. And with some of the self-creation flashes of ball handling fluidity and step backs and moves to the rim, there's some secondary tertiary creation potential there, but definitely not some primary creation there. The best way to describe Cam Reddish is an empty gym superstar. That's the best thing I've heard <laughs> about Cam Reddish. You could compare that yeah. to Contavious Caldwell Pope or Ben McLemore. If you saw them in a gym just shooting around, be like, this guy's going to be an all-star in the NBA. And then you put him with four other guys on the floor in a real basketball situation. You're like, all right, this, he just, he can't translate it well. Yeah, he's a parkour. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like I talked about earlier, those workout videos of him, doing through the legs and spin moves and shooting open threes and doing dunks where he gets three inches off the floor. Those are going to blow up and make people be like, wow, this guy's got a lot of potential when it's ignoring so much context and factual information and statistical historical data we have that would suggest otherwise. So um, who do you think has the chance to make the biggest immediate impact right off the bat, no matter who drafts them, obviously aside from Zion, you know, who, who do you think can make, immediate contributions right out of the gate. It's the same list as the guys who I'm most confident being the best NBA players, Brandon Clark and Jarrett Culver. Probably less so Culver, especially if he's in a more on-ball role, which it seems like it's possible that he's going to take on a more on-ball role if he gets drafted super highly. But if he's able to be a third, fourth guy on a really good team, his shooting volume will decrease, shooting percentage will increase, he'll play great defense, play make, and then Brandon Clark with his athleticism, his defense, IQ, he's going to be positive on that end immediately. And once he learns to shoot, he's going to be a fantastic contributor in the NBA. One guy that I'm pretty high on, obviously small sample size because his knee injury, but Darius Garland has an NBA-ready game. NBA ready game. He already has NBA range. He is compared a comparison with Darius Garland is Damian Lillard. Just with his sidestep threes, the way he moves without the ball, how he comes off screens, DHOs, catches the ball, shoots off balance. And like we were talking about earlier, his body control on his jump shot is very fluid and smooth. And he moves well without the ball, too. He cuts the basket pretty well. Obviously, small sample size, but I still think he's going to be a top seven pick. Yeah, it's looking like he's going to be that, if not even higher. I wouldn't be surprised to see teams trying to move up to a four to get Garland. And... Obviously, other guys that will make immediate impacts for teams. I'm not saying they're going to be the best. Oh, um, oh, oh, yeah. So I'll try to think of some new guys who I haven't talked about yet. Besides the Grant Williams, Brandon Clark, Jarrett Culver, all those guys are fantastic. Some other guys who I think could make an immediate impact is oh, PJ Washington is a guy who's just he's long, he's athletic. On offense, he flashed a lot more perimeter skills this year with his 40% jump shooting from three, his improved playmaking from the post and the perimeter from the perimeter off driving kicks, and he's he was an elite post scorer in college. I doubt he's going to be asked to do that as much in the NBA, but it's something he could do against mismatches at times with his right hook. Defense, he still has some motor and 
feel concerns, but he's super he's super long. His frame is great. He should be able to make plays on and off the ball. That's a guy who I think is going to produce right as he gets into the NBA. And somebody else who I think is probably going to produce right as he gets into the league, someone lower down on this list is Ignas Brasdakis, who is really off a lot of radars as he didn't have a great combine and he's not super flashy, but he's a versatile scorer. He shoots the ball well off a versatile amount of actions. He gets to the rim with his strength and touch. And on defense, he's super strong. He's going to be a good point of attack defender. And I think he's a guy who's going to play positive minutes on the wing right away. Yeah, so um, I wasn't I wasn't trying to tell you to name new guys. I was just saying, obviously, oh. like, no, 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 I wasn't, like, saying that in a smart way at all. I was just saying guys that also will make immediate impacts. I think shooters coming out, like we saw Landry Shamit last year, a shooter comes in the league and just has immediate impact off the bench. Guys like Tyler Harrow or Cam Johnson, those guys will – get put on teams probably an eighth or ninth man, depending on where they get drafted. And let's say uh, Hero goes to Indiana 18 or Cam Johnson goes to any team in his range. Just having shooting makes you, as a rookie, stay on the floor that much longer. So I think those guys will have impacts immediately as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially if they land on a team like the Sixers who desperately need shooting. A guy like Hero or Johnson or Carson Edwards or Windler, anybody we talked about, is probably going to have a more substantial impact than other guys without uh, without NBA-ready skills. So moving on to guys I think will rise and guys that will fall in the draft, what do you think are a few guys that you think, based off of reports, will rise in the draft? Well, this draft seems like pretty chalk based on what we're hearing. We talked about him earlier. I could see Nasir Little going even higher. I could see – I think – Cleveland can maybe become enamored if he just dominates in workouts. And another guy who maybe I could see see rising is Bull Bull. A lot of p- bigger name draft people are pretty out on him. I know Sam Vicenni of the Athletic is really low on him, and there's legitimately legitimate reasons to be low on him with his his motor, his lack of defensive awareness or feel, his 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 frame is just terrible. He can't move on the perimeter. His injuries, of course, but I wouldn't be surprised to see all it takes is one team to latch on to his upside and take a swing in the lottery or even the top 10. And as for guys falling, I think there's been a lot of smoke about Fiondu Cabangele going high, going even top 20. And I just want to believe in trust in teams' talent evaluation because I don't think he's anywhere near a top 20 prospect. So I think that's those rumors have been more smoke and mirrors than real substance. And I think he's going to not not go in the top 20 or top 25 or anything like that. Yeah, so a few guys I think have already started to rise on draft boards and will continue to. Obviously, we talked about the report that came out that Kildren Johnson probably won't be available by 17. Teams are just starting to latch on like his abilities, potential. Nick Claxton has risen. I remember beginning, he was second round guy. And then I've seen mocks now with him at 17. Obviously we talked earlier about the Croatian Luca, And then also Kevin Porter Jr. was in the late twenties last month. And now he's been reported. I've seen reports of him mock drafts of him going to Minnesota at 11. And also another guy similar to Kevin Porter is Nikhil Alexander Walker. He'll probably go Maybe Boston at 14, I could see Boston going Kevin Porter Jr. or Nikhil Alexander-Walker at that spot. Or worst-case scenario, he goes early 20s. 
But this, there's one guy that I was listening to an NBA podcast the other day, and, and I was reading articles online from multiple sources that there are reports that teams that want Bobo are talking him down so that he falls, but teams that don't want him are talking him up to increase their picks trade value. So Bobo's one of those guys. I'm not crazy high on him, but he is one of those guys that has star potential in the NBA. Obviously, there are a lot of knocks on him due to his frame, injuries, ability to transfer in the NBA, but a tall, versatile, seven foot two guy that has a decent jump shot and good ball handling playmaking abilities has the potential maybe to be a star in the NBA. What do you think about Bobo? Yeah, I touched on him a little bit earlier, and I agree with a ton of the concerns you have about Bull with his frame and his overall defense lacking with his perimeter movement skills and his awareness. But I think at some point in this draft, you touched on this as well, his upside is maybe higher than almost every other guy in this draft with his unicorn stretch five with a handle potential. And at some point, especially in this draft without a ton of high-end talent, at some point in maybe the teens, I'm fine swinging, or even higher than that, I'm fine swinging for the fences with Bull. Because if I miss out on someone, it's probably not going to be a superstar I miss out. Like If I miss out on Bull Bull and he hits his high upside because I wanted to get Cam Reddish so bad, I'm going to be really disappointed. Because Cam Reddish, I don't think, is ever going to be a star. And Bull Bull, if he hits, is super valuable at the minimum. So... Well, I don't love Bobo the player, I do think there is a reason to swing on him high, and I agree that I think I could see him going pretty highly in the draft. Yeah, and teams like the Hawks, who have three first-round picks at 8, 10, and 17, or Boston at 14, 20, and 22, or even the Spurs at 19 and 29, you have enough picks there where you can use one of those just to swing for the fences on Bobo. Just take a shot in the dark, it could be a home run. Absolutely. Maybe even in Atlanta, 8 or 10 or 17, I can see them swinging for bowl with their love of shooting. And another earlier thing you mentioned about Claxton as a riser, I thought it was really interesting that he didn't get a green room invite because you, you talked about him rising. There's been so much things about him potentially going in the lottery. And I, I wonder if that means he got a promise he's comfortable with and it was open and not going to the green room. So maybe he might not be rising as far as people think because of that. I don't know. I've yeah. seen him a little bit all over the place, too, as far as mock drafts go. I think the ringer has him going early, mid, second round, and while others have him, you know, late first round. So there's definitely a degree of variance there when it comes to Claxton. Yeah. The biggest disparity I've seen in this draft is with the bigs. Nick Claxton, Baisley, Cabin Gelly, Bruno Fernando, Admiral Schofield, Eric Pascal, all these guys, and that's just naming a few. There's a lot more. All these guys, all these forward or centers have been Jalen McDaniels as well. I've seen him mid to late 20s down into the mid to late 40s. So the bigs in this draft, Ben, you talked about earlier, there there's so many of them. I'd say a lot of them most likely are going to fall because it's modern NBA centers usually aren't as useful and they're not in high demand, so I think some of those centers will fall. But I think Claxton is going to be one of those guys that, like I said earlier, saw a few mocks a day with him at 17. So a guy to keep your eye on. Yeah, I agree. I think the range from is pretty wide. Wouldn't be surprised at any outcome, really. Yeah. And so another thing I want to touch on, so I have three sleepers that will probably go later in the draft. I love Cody Martin in his game. He obviously doesn't have the most traditional jump shot. He has mechanical issues. But... He's a great playmaker off pick and rolls. He's a good passer. He makes cross-court passes on the defensive side. He's strong, 
long arms. I think he's definitely one of those guys that could rise in draft boards. And even on offense, he loves that pump fake that he used to drive to the basket to get by defenders. So I could see him right now. I'd say we did a mock draft yesterday on the podcast, and I had him at 52 going to Charlotte. You're getting a, a smart wing defender that can defend multiple positions. He's a solid ball handler. He controls the tempo of the offense, and he's a good pick-and-roll playmaker. And he can finish at the rim. He pulls up off the dribble at those 15-foot jump shots. But besides that funky mechanics on his jump shot, I think he will have a lot of value. Yeah. All right, so let me go on a different point. Since 2008, there's one college player who had a season of two steal percent, two block percent, two assist to turnover ratio, 100 two-point jumpers at 40%. And 100 rim attempts at 70%. Any guesses who that guy is? Cody Martin. It, it, it is indeed Cody Martin. I am all aboard the Cody Martin train with you guys. His, like I said, his statistical indicators are off the charts. He's such a smart player. He, You talked about him getting the mid-range, those pull-ups, and with his defense and passing. I think he probably shoots because of his ridiculous touch from the mid-range and volume there. I don't see it being too unrealistic unrealistic that he ex- extends his shot to the three-point line. I have him in the early 40s on my board, and he's super old. And if he doesn't shoot, he's probably not a very valuable NBA player, but there's such a good chance he's a valuable contributor, and I'm all there with you with Cody Martin. Yeah, so I'm just – I'm living in North Carolina, so I've, I saw him his first two years at NC State, him and Caleb. And Cody's always obviously been the better one. So just seeing him back at State, and then now he's – Definitely a sleeper in this draft. And another guy is Lou Dort. He's obviously, I've seen him. There's a big range of where he'll get picked. But, I mean, just his frame, he looks like an NFL defensive end. He drives to the basket with power and speed. But he's one of those guys that has million-dollar moves and 10-cent finishes. There's lots of scoring upside due to his frame and ability to create looks. But, obviously, he doesn't convert those shots like we've talked about with other guys, but on defense, he displays maximum effort and he's a solid versatile defender that can defend multiple guys. His jump shot also, like Cody Martin, has mechanical issues, but I think Lou Dort could be another guy that could be a sleeper in this draft as well. Yeah, you, you hit on it with the with he's got the strength and the powerful first step and the frame to get to the rim whatever he wants, but can he finish that? That's a big question. He didn't look like he could in his freshman season at Arizona State. His touch is really poor. He's not a great decision maker, and like you said, his mechanics are weird. They lean him to more comfortability on pull-up threes than spot-up threes, which is probably not what he's going to be doing most at the NBA level. On defense, his strength and his athleticism helps him pretty be pretty strong and versatile on the point of attack, but he's kind of a mess off ball with his technique and with his awareness and his feel. He has a lot of weird habits. He religiously helps off the strong side corner shooter, which is just not a thing you want to do, obviously, in basketball. Concede wide open three. So I definitely understand taking a swing on him for his physical tools and his projectable on-ball defense, but I'd probably look elsewhere because of his feel for the game issues. But I do see a path to him becoming value if he can clean those up in the NBA because of his physical tools. Yeah, definitely. And the last guy that I have is Justin Wright Foreman, guard out of Hofstra. I think a comparison for him is a lefty Lou Williams with more athleticism. He could be a great scorer off the bench. I think he's a ball-dominant guard. He scores rapidly off the dribble. He gets where he wants on the floor because he has a quick feet, tight handle, and he has various dribble moves. 
one thing about him is he has really deep range with his nice lifty jump shot. He loves to use those pull-up, step-back, sidesteps to get his shots off. And one thing about him that's also good is he's dominant on ball, but he's also valuable off the ball. And he excels as an off-ball spot-up shooter because he has a very balanced, fluid jump shot that could help him do whatever role a team wants. If he wants to be a spot-up shooter, he can excel, excel in that way. Or if he wants to be a ball-dominant guy off the bench, he could do that as well. And he just scores from anywhere on the, on the court. And he's also an underrated playmaker. And if you watch tape on him, he makes really difficult cross-court passes a lot, and he delivers the ball right into his teammates' shooting pockets. So I think I've seen he could go in the 40s or in the 50s. That would be a very big value pick there. And he could develop in the G League for a few years and then eventually come up and drop buckets in the NBA. All right, so let's play this game one more time. There's three college players, 2008, who've had seasons with 150 rim attempts, 250 three-point attempts, and shooting 65% of the rim. They are 2011 Jimmer Fredette, 2016 Buddy Heald, and who is the third one? Man, uh, I'm going to go with Justin Wright Foreman. You'd be correct. That is Justin Wright Foreman. I am also on the Justin Wright Foreman train. I am a big fan of him for all the reasons you mentioned. One, that he might be the best pull-up shooter in this draft. He's so smooth and comfortable transitioning from his dribble into his shot. And he's a versatile all-around three-level scorer. Or he can shoot off the ball, and his passing is inconsistent, but I do think he has a lot of passing chops in him. There are some games where his decision-making is totally off, and his passes are awry, but there are some games, I think it was the NC State game in the NIT, where his passing was incredible. He was making all of the pick-and-roll reads. He was patient. He was making cross-court skip passes. The type of passes that really unlock good shots in the NBA, and the type of passes that a guy like him would need, I definitely get anybody who's not a right Foreman fan, his defense is atrocious. He's going to be one of the worst defenders in the NBA with all likelihood. Defensive blocks plus minus is a noisy and perfect stat, but there are very few guys who were good and who had a negative three DBPM or less at the college level and became good NBA players. I think Bryn Forbes is the only one I could find in my research. So there's definitely that. Obviously the goal is for him to, like you said, be a Lou Williams type bench spark plug with his pull-up shooting and his scoring and potential playmaking. And he's a guy I really, really like as a second round flyer type because initiators are so valuable in the NBA. And he's one of the few guys who have that kind of equity. Yeah, definitely. Especially in the modern NBA where teams use the pick and roll and pick and switches to attack mismatches. Justin Wright Foreman is one of those guys that can utilize that to a T because of that pull-up jump shot, which not every single guy in the NBA has. And so with him having that, that just brings another aspect to your team's offense, having a guy that can come off the bench or even eventually start maybe. Let's say he gets into a, a Lou Williams level eventually. Having him do that just in the pick and roll or just anywhere on the floor in your offense to take those mismatches that's just very very valuable so Justin Wright Foreman there's no way I think he gets into the mid to late 50s I could say see him going into the 40s but whoever gets him is getting a flat out score yeah absolutely there's obviously a chance he's never an NBA player he never meets the athletic or defensive thresholds necessary but there's a real chance he's a valuable spark plug type and he's a guy I'd like to bet on if he if he falls in the late second or on a two-way type deal Moving on to one of our last points. So who do you think is going to win the draft? Obviously, the Hawks have three first-round picks. They have 8, 10, and 17. The Celtics have 14, 20, and 22. And then the Pelicans could maybe trade that fourth pick to get Bradley Beal. And then the Spurs have 19, 29, and 39. And we know how well the Spurs draft. Maybe one of those three teams, or which team do you think wins the draft this year? 
the Pelicans would win the draft. Assuming they draft Zion, they, they win the draft. They get the best prospect in decades. That's pretty simple. And they have the, the fourth pick. They could pretty much take anybody with that pick and still win the draft because of how magnitudinally incredible Zion is. But that's kind of cheating. So I'll pick another team. And I'll go with the Hawks because the Hawks are have shown under Travis Schlank that they draft very well. They scout talent well, and they have a lot of picks. There's real potential they move up or down with those picks. There's a lot of different things that could happen. There's so many great players that could land in their laps, and I'm confident in their talent evaluation and their draft philosophies, and I'll bet on the Hawks to have a good night. Yeah, I think, obviously, like you said, Zion, you're winning the draft. It's Biggest draft prospect since LeBron, just the amount of hype he has. LeBron never had this much hype because, I mean, he did, but there was no social media. And before Zion even stepped foot onto Duke's campus in Durham, he had 2 million Instagram followers and was a worldwide sensation. Even now, him going to the Pelicans, he literally saved that franchise. AD's getting traded. And if AD didn't get traded and he left after this season, let's say, Pelicans are probably one of the top teams to, let's say, go to Seattle, Las Vegas, or relocate to another team's design, literally save this Pelicans franchise. But also the Hawks, like we've talked about multiple times, they have those three picks in the top 17. They're definitely going to hit on one of those picks or even more. And right now, with Trey Young, Kevin Herter, John Collins, that's already a good core as it is, and you add three more guys to that, that'll, that'll be perfect. And going on, what do you think are – guys that are undrafted that people should keep their eyes on all right so i'll go i'll go through a couple first guy that comes into my head is john conchar uh out of Purdue fort wayne he had a historically great statistical season and he's just an all-around excellent prospect he took on a a ton of scoring role at Purdue fort wayne this season and he basically played point guard and was super efficient he's a pretty good vertical athlete he gets to the rim at a decent rate his shot is pretty strong on defense, he's just one of the smartest players in the draft. He's a playmaker on defense with his IQ, reading plays, and with his athleticism to get steals and blocks. And off the court, he seems like a smart guy. He had a job um, working, doing laundry in his equipment room as a senior, as the star of the basketball team. So that says wow. a lot about his character. And that's a guy I want in my locker room and a guy who I'd be surprised if he finds a way and doesn't contribute at the NBA level. And some more on Josh guys, we talked about Cody Martin and Justin Wright Foreman. Those are two big guys that I would love to see a team get undrafted. Another backup point guard type is Justin Robinson, who is really this platonic ideal of a backup point guard prospect. He does all the things you want a backup point guard to do. He doesn't make mistakes. He shoots threes and he gets and he plays solid defense. He gets a lot of steals. He's not super athletic, but he's got a good enough frame and he's six foot two. He's gonna run your offense. He's going to provide solid minutes off the bench. And looking at some other guys, Dean Wade is a guy I'd be interested at who's had injury problems throughout his career, and he's has problems with passivity. But there aren't as there aren't 6'10 bigs like him who shoot as well as he does, who are skilled in the perimeter, fluid, coordinated, mobile with their handle, and as smart as he is. And then Juwan Morgan, who's a really excellent defensive prospects all around he's got crazy good weak side rim protection instincts he can switch a little bit as well guard the pick and roll on offense i'm not really sure how he scores and he basically needs to shoot threes to be a viable nba player but he can pass a little bit out of a short roll make good decisions and if you can train him to shoot he's a super valuable combo wing forward switchy guy
Another guy that just had a lot of hype just because the team he's on, Kyle Guy. Not really sure where he's going to go. I'd say most likely he goes undrafted. What do you think about Kyle Guy and his projection into the NBA? I don't think he's really an NBA player. I mean, he's a, such an he's an excellent shooter, off movement, everything, pull ups. He's one of the better shooters in this draft. But I don't think he's athletic enough, plays enough defense, play makes enough to really be an NBA player. I mean, finding one way shooters is so easy. One-way shooters are a diamond dozen in the NBA, and I don't think he's likely any more than that. So I wouldn't think he gets drafted or think he's worth more than a two-way deal. Um, I had to ask, too. Um, where are you as far as a taco fall goes? Do you think he's just he was just a gimmick throughout his college <laughs> career, or do you think that he actually has oh. a future in the pros? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I am firmly in the do-not-draft-taco-fall camp. I won't have him in my top 100. He's like Boban. He's like Boban. If you gave him three inches and took away all of his touch, strength, and offensive skill, like even Boban, who's infinitely better than Taco Fall as a basketball player, is unplayable in 60% of NBA scenarios and 90% of playoff scenarios. And like maybe he can produce in five, four minutes a game as like a tall guy against certain lineups in the regular season, but. He doesn't add any real value or impact of winning in any tangible way that would be worth spending a draft pick or even a two-way contract on. I can't wait to watch him in Summer League, and he's going to sell tickets, so that's one thing. He'll be great for the G League, but I don't think he's anywhere near an NBA player. Yeah, he's going to be huge for, for G League attendance for sure. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big one. It's just so funny watching him in college. He is literally towering over everyone, and he still can't convert layups or anything inside. He takes like it, it takes him like three or four times to make a simple hook shot or contested layup when he's a foot and a half taller than guys on the floor. Yeah, he's supremely unskilled. It's really, really kind of funny to watch. But he's tall. He's probably going to find a spot somewhere in the NBA just because of the league's infatuation with him. And he did pretty well for himself at the Combine. But it's pretty clear that with the league's focus on the perimeter and switching and mobility and pace and space, he's just not useful anymore. If it was the 1990s, then yeah, he'd probably be a first-round pick, but not at this point. And to close out, one of the last things. So how do you think the draft pans out for guys that skip college, like Darius Baisley and Jalen LeCue? And do you think this is going to be a trend in the future, or do you think this is – just going to kind of die down. Obviously, we've seen guys like RJ Hampton, LaMelo Ball, among other guys that are going overseas to play basketball instead of going to college. Do you think that's a good trend and you think that helps? Obviously, probably doesn't help their status for the NBA because they're not getting as much attention like Zion did at Duke with all the national televised games. But how do you think that works for guys in the future? I think it can be a, a harm and a help, definitely. Um, I don't think it's going to like start a trend of guys skipping college but it could definitely help in the case of a guy like Darius Basley who we've talked about who basically b- before the combine NBA teams hadn't seen him hadn't seen anything from him and he had one excellent combine scrimmage and he's reportedly been good in workouts and he, look he shot out the board even though in my opinion I mean his b- general basketball skill is pretty low and even like if you go back and watch some of his AAU games he flashed some face-up scoring and some athleticism against stronger comp- against weaker competition, but his feel is low. He's a questionable shooter, and I think uh, a full body of college games for a guy like Basley would be negatively impactful for him. I think it's a perfect storm for him to show off in workouts in empty gyms and 3v3s and the combine and to shoot his stock up potentially be a first-round pick. 
it's interesting to me that Jalen LeCue hasn't had the same amount of hype when I thought he was equally impressive at his one combine scrimmage and didn't even play the second scrimmage because of the feedback he had received. So it's interesting to see Baisley being mocked so highly and LeCue not, when I think LeCue is probably the better prospect. Yeah, Jalen LeCue has that Russell Westbrook-esque athleticism and bounce. He's very, very raw, but the potential with him is very, very high. Yeah, he's... If one thing, he's a super athlete, and he's, like you said, so raw. He flashed some passing at the combine scrimmage, which I didn't really expect. I went back and watched some of his AU, his high school tape, and was kind of unimpressed with his overall skill and feel game. But with his athletic tools, there's it's at some point it's worth a gamble in the second round, I think. Yeah, he'll definitely get a late second round. Zach Norvell Jr., guard from Gonzaga, I've seen... Maybe him going to Philly at 54, maybe 42. He obviously has mechanics he needs to fix on his jump shot. But from a what the Sixers need, he's a pretty excellent shooter. He's a decent defender, lefty spot-up guy that converts off screens, handoffs, and movement. And he's a smart playmaker. Maybe a Landry Shamit type replacement. What do you think about Zach Norvell? Yeah, I mean, he definitely doesn't have the intelligence of a Landry Shamit or the overall defensive feel. But I agree that I like him for Philly. At some point in the second round, with his um, overall shooting and scoring ability, shot creation, Sixers need that. He'd be a guy who can give them that likely right away uh, as a rookie, as a second round pick, which is really valuable. If you're getting, if you're getting like eighth, ninth men in your rotation in the second round, then you're winning. That's all you can ask for. People, a lot of fans are really not too happy with the premise of getting eighth men in the rotation in the second round, but that's all you can ask for. And if and if you're getting contract-controlled, cheap players on rookie-scale rookie deals who can play minutes, that's a win. And I think Norvell could do that. Also, Siku Demboya, he's probably the most raw prospect, like we said. He's not really much to his game right now. I'd say when he gets into the league, he'll probably just be – he's an unpolished athletic freak. And he has potential to be a nightmare against NBA bigs. But he was a 77% free-throw shooter in France – as of right now, he'll probably be a pick-and-roll lob guy and a shot blocker. Do you think he has the potential to develop into a solid big in the NBA? He has a he has okay post footwork right now in that hook shot, but besides that, there's not really much of his offensive game besides his athleticism. Yeah, I think he's definitely projecting – you want to project him as a wing, not a big, because of his uh, – he's not like a super explosive, dynamic athlete, but he's a super fluid and smooth athlete. And you can see that when he pushes the ball in the open court with his handle – and like like you mentioned, his free throw percentage. I think he's gonna shoot. He's got good touch, and even though he shoots that moon ball jumper, he's probably gonna it's probably gonna go in at a decent rate. But like you said, he's really raw. His skill game overall is raw. His decision making on both ends is pretty terrible. He's probably not a guy who contributes until his second contract, and I don't think he has any real star upside because of his lack of skill or feel. But I think he's definitely has versatile combo forward defensive shooter upside. One other last guy. Um, no problem. Just Rui Hachimura. I think he's he's a guy that I've seen really high on some people's big boards and fall on my personal big board. I have him at 19. Some people have him lower than that. Some people have him in the top 10. What, what are your thoughts on him? All right, so I am – this is a, probably a good way to end. It's pretty on-brand way to end for me because I'm I'm noted very low on Rui Hachimura as uh, an NBA prospect. There are things to like about him, his, namely his face-up scoring with his size and his strength and his 
handle and his touch. He's going to be able to score inside, but that's really about it for him. And he's projects as nothing more than a backup bucket getter for me. That really stems from his lack of feel on both ends. On offense, he misses so many open passes. There's this one against this is the one I remember clearest against Washington, where he's on the strong side corner, and I think he's triple teamed. And there's a and there's a I think Corey Kispert is wide open on the the weak side wing, and he just has his hands up like in star formation, and Rui just takes a sweeping lefty hook and mix and misses, and that's just the image that pops into my head when I think of him as an offensive player. And feel, as you guys have probably figured out by now, is one of the things I value most in a prospect. It's so important for prospects to be able to make high-level decisions, and I don't trust Rui to do that on either end of the ball. And like I said, his athleticism and his frame, he should be a passable on-ball defender, but I don't think he's going to be super switchy. He might be able to cover some guards in a pinch and some quicker wings, but then off the ball, he he forgets to tag the roll man. He'll ball watch. He'll let cutters go behind him. I really don't see an avenue to him being a positive NBA defender unless a scheme is built around to insulate him, which just is a waste of a scheme, really, for a player who's not all that special. And he definitely has an NBA role in like a bench role to just come in, score, sit down. But generally, I like to prioritize guys with skills that impact winning at a high level, and I just don't think Hachimura is going to be one of those guys. Oh, sorry, I, I meant to touch on his three-point shot. I do think he shoots threes at some point because of his touch in the mid-range and around the basket, but even then, he'd have to become a super dynamic three-point shooter to make up for the lost value on defense and with his playmaking. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm kind of a really pessimist as well, so those points definitely valid. Ben, appreciate you coming on with us. Sorry if we ask a lot, just <clears throat> trying to pick your brain, get some more draft content for our viewers right before the draft. Appreciate you coming on. You guys can catch us at thesixersense.com and at Sixersense on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.